listening to My Pocket Psych, the podcast all about the psychology of the workplace. Each episode, we look at the topics that can make our working lives difficult and explore how you can take action to improve things. We want to help you move from simply surviving work to thriving at work. My Pocket Psych is brought to you by Work Life Psych, a team of workplace psychologists who are experts in coaching, training, and structured development programs. You can find out more about how we help people grow and develop at work by visiting our website, worklifepsych.com. Hello and welcome to episode number 58 of My Pocket Psych, the podcast all about the psychology of the workplace. I'm Dr. Richard McKinnon and I'm joined as ever by my co-host Pilar Orti. Pilar, how are you today? I am, I am well. I'm a little bit, oh, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff <laughs> happening. It's mainly on my mind, uh, but yes, but I'm good. Are you doing okay? Yes, I have a lot of stuff on as well at the moment, but I won't complain. It's all super interesting and um, enjoyable. So um, I, as soon as I'm finished talking to you today, I'm going to polish a presentation and then tomorrow I go to Dublin. So uh, there's, there's quite a bit on the plate at the moment. Nice. So what are we, what are we dealing with today? <laughs> well, we're, we're dealing with what we're dealing with. Today, we're dealing with discomfort. So this is the sixth episode in our series all about psychological flexibility and action. Now, if this is the first ever episode you've listened to, welcome. Um, you may want to go back a few episodes, not all the way back to, to number one. This is number 58. But if you were to go back to number 53, you would then get a sense of where we're going with this, this particular series of episodes. Back in number 53, we talked about uh, the, the role of our values and how they're really important as part of this framework. And um, I interviewed uh, Ross McIntosh, um, another practitioner in this area, and we had a good old chat about values and putting them into action. And then in episode 54, I interviewed Dr. Rachel Skews from Goldsmiths, University of London, all about putting this framework into a coaching context. And then in episode 55, Pilar, you and I discussed the, the skill of developing a mindful focus and being, bringing our attention to bear on the here and now. In 56, we talked about the benefits of seeing our thoughts for what they actually are, not for what they say they are. And in episode 57, we had an interview with Dr. Austin Tay all about the application of these principles in a different context where he works in Asia. So, now that I look back at all of that, we've covered a lot. Um, we've still got a little bit more to do, but there's no perfect place to start with this. But it, it might be nice to start with number 53 and, and get a sense for what we're trying to do. So that's where we got to so far. Let's pause and remind everyone what it is we're talking about, because if this is the first episode you've ever heard, you'll be going, values, what? Mindful, what? So th this is about a skill set called psychological flexibility. And these skills benefit us in, in multiple ways, very strongly uh, evidence-based and, and shows us a lot of positives that can come from practicing these skills. Now, psychological flexibility is the outcome from practicing these skills. And all of this is based in something called acceptance and commitment theory or ACT. So often people will talk about ACT, they'll talk about psychological flexibility, or they'll talk about contextual behavioral science, and they'll use those terms interchangeably. I like to distinguish between the theory, ACT, and what we're trying to build, 
psychological flexibility. So hence this series of episodes is all about those skills that if we practice them consistently can give us that sense of psychological flexibility and all of the benefits that come from that. How Pilar, is that for a recap? I think that's wonderful, listeners. I hope you agree with me, those of you who have been with us for a while. And new listeners, I hope you 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 catch up. Um, can I say something about that? Of course. Yes. <laughs> when, when not? Uh, so I think that this concept of them being skills and something that can be practiced so that we get to uh, a place where we are psychological flexible or we're we're in that state i think that's uh, that that's been my main learning still brilliant yeah yeah i i encourage people to view this as something they can develop and acquire rather than a core part of their being that they're somehow born with and you have it or you don't have it so this is a, an ongoing journey for everyone and i think what we're trying to do is highlight the fact that these discrete skills also support each other And today's episode is really going to illustrate, I think, how our capacity to deal with the discomfort we encounter is made all the easier by those other skills that we've talked about so far. I'm smiling to myself because <laughs> I had in the notes a quick recap of the topics <laughs> covered so far. That was that was nearly five minutes. But anyway, so but but based on on what we've been discussing so far, you had that main takeaway. Did it Did it prompt any questions on your part? Um, I haven't had many questions, and, and to be completely honest and transparent with our listeners, because we've covered some of this before. So I think that my main questions would have come earlier. It did prompt a reflection, uh, and this is especially the last episode we recorded together, which was the episode on seeing thoughts for what they are. That was episode 56. That really, really resonated because I am someone who, I'll, I'll be completely honest, before I met you, I used to really go over stuff in my mind over and over and over again. And sometimes that would be helpful because obviously I could maybe work it out or whatever. But a lot of the times I found myself getting stuck in thoughts and it was just preventing me from being present and from mm. just getting on with stuff and really getting on with stuff I could actually do something about. So mainly these thoughts were about the past. And and I just wanted to, if that's okay with you, Richard, to share with you and the listeners some lines that I had written, I wrote maybe a year and a half ago or something about, about this thing. So I've got a collection of articles of stuff I'm writing and working on. Um, can I share that with you? Please, I'd love to hear it. <laughs> so it won't be long, uh, listeners, but I, I, I read it only a couple of days ago. I dug it out to revisit this collection and I thought, oh, wow, this is what we were talking about the other day. So talking about thoughts, I wrote, the important thing is not to get stuck in them, not to let them play in our minds so often that we lose touch with who we are now, with who lives in the present. Let the thoughts emerge, but then let them fly away. Notice they are there and say goodbye to them if they're not helping, but welcome them if they're trying to tell you how you can confront a challenge in a different way today. And I was wow. reading that, yeah, and I was thinking, that's what it is. It's about being mindful that they're there, being present, and then making decisions about, okay, is this where I want to be at the moment? That That's really lovely. Um, and I'd like to put that in the show notes. 
if you're okay with that. I think those few that that description is just so lovely and it encapsulates what we've talking we've been talking about, not just the relationship with thoughts, but relationships with the experiences we don't want, mm. which is what we're talking about today. You can notice it and it still exists, but you don't have to take your direction from it. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Oh, that's really nice. Good. Thank you. Well, thank you for that. Thank you, because I have a feeling this was about a couple of months after we did those um, webinars on psychological flexibility. So <laughs> I think it's And that stuck. was some time ago. Yes, yes, that's how long it yeah. was. Yeah. Wow. So this, this is how long we've been working together. This is lovely. <laughs> yeah. I like these memories. So... Today, we're talking about how to deal with discomfort. And I want to be really clear at the outset. We're talking about psychological discomfort, specifically today, psychological discomfort. And by that, I mean, these are the internal states we don't really want to experience. And, you know, this morning, I ran a workshop with some graduates um, on, on a related topic, you know, ha handling pressure and dealing with pressure well. And we talked about inner experiences to a certain extent and the ones that we welcome and the ones that we don't welcome. And that includes emotions and thoughts and uh, imagery and memories and all of that stuff. And I, and I tried to emphasize this isn't about good feelings or bad feelings or good experiences or bad ones, but ones that we welcome and ones that we, we don't really enjoy having. And the, the point with this discomfort is that well, we can, we can deal with it well or we can deal with it in a way that's less helpful to us. So the kinds of experiences I'm talking about, we could all identify with in the workplace, like boredom. Boredom is not a state that many people would welcome for, for long periods of time. It's something we want to remove, we want to deal with, we want to do something about to reduce it. Frustration is another example. Maybe it's frustration about solving a problem, frustration about being told no, but there's something we want to do with that frustration. And maybe we want to take it out on a thing or a person, or maybe we use frustration, the emotion, as an excuse for what we do next. It's a rationale for our behavior. Or maybe uncertainty. You know, and there's a lot of that in organizations. We're not entirely sure what's going to happen over the next few years. Maybe we're not senior enough to be making decisions and the uncertainty annoys us. And so instead of carrying on, we might just get wrapped up in exploring that uncertainty and maybe playing thoughts over and over and over again. And so these are not, you know, it's not physical danger. It's not physical pain I'm talking about, but it's the sort of psychological states that, you know, ideally we wouldn't experience. But actually, I'm, I'm going to turn that on its head and say they're part and parcel of being human. So we need to experience them. And it's how we deal with them that is a real marker of our psychological flexibility. Does that make sense so far, th this notion of states we don't want to experience? Yes, and I can absolutely see their relationship also uh, with the thoughts, the thoughts that come and go and the things that actually are happening and what do we do with them? So yes, mm, I, I can see the mm. connection also. And, and sometimes it can be hard to pick those apart, yeah. right? You, you might feel really frustrated. You might not label it that, but you might be really focused on your thoughts about the frustrating situation. And there you find yourself stuck in your mind, going around and around, you know, almost getting into a bath of frustration. And that is, that is, that has become your focus. And, and your attention is going to the frustration and your thoughts about it. And maybe some recrimination directed at other people or at yourself or the situation, whatever it is. 
whatever you're doing, you're getting scooped up by all of that inner experience and away from what would be really helpful for you to do in that moment in the outside world, out of your mind. Yeah. And so the, the point of discomfort is it's useful to be realistic about this stuff. Um, I, like I was saying to the, the group this morning, there's a common misconception that the ideal experience for, for human beings is happiness. And if you think about that, that if you were happy all the time, it would lose its meaning. If you were having fun all the time, it would lose its meaning. And so discomfort almost serves as a way to remind us of what is good, what is welcome or what is comfortable. And so to be happy, we kind of need to experience some unhappiness. And to feel enthusiastic, we probably need to experience boredom from time to time. And it's part of the rich experience that we have as really complex human beings. I'm, and yet, oops, sorry, <laughs> sorry. You, you know, go ahead. I, I, I have a quote that comes to mind that ra uh, summarizes that. So it's a, very, a little interlude. Um, uh, Stephen Sondheim. Uh, in his mm. musical Into the Woods, there is yep. a song all about moments. And, and he says, well, the, a character is a female. She says, uh, uh, um, if, if life were made of moments, every now and then a bad one. But if life were only moments, then you never know you had one. So it's again that thing of we want these yeah. things, but actually if it's all the time the same, then we can't enjoy it. Precisely. Stephen Sondheim, psychological flexibility genius. Yes, he's wonderful. <laughs> he's wonder You're more than welcome to uh, quote Sondheim on this podcast Excellent. at any point. Maybe that could be a next theme. Uh, let's look at the psychology of musical theatre. <laughs> so y you're absolutely right. It's, it's, it, these, these um, experiences are transient. Now, it might be a moment, it might be a day, it might be several weeks, depending on the event we're, we're grappling with. But the point is, they're not permanent. And, and yet we can get scooped up by them and, and view them as being permanent and something to fight. And I think you can broadly look at this as being potentially problematic when we try and avoid discomfort. And that's maybe avoiding a repetition of the discomfort because we've had it before and we don't want to have it again. Or we're avoiding something we anticipate will be uncomfortable. And, you know, if you think it's going to be really uncomfortable for me to speak up in this meeting... So therefore, I don't want to speak up in this meeting. You're missing out and you're not going to be heard. And so there's a very short term negative impact there. There's the positive, though, isn't there? The avoidance of being embarrassed when you speak up in a meeting. And that's what's challenging about discomfort. If you avoid it, you get a short term relief. But it's the medium to longer term of avoidance and and uh, um missing out on, on situations and on experiences that can help us grow, that's the unhelpful bit. And it's kind of hardwired into us to not enjoy um, this sense of discomfort, but it can also become a habit that we want to avoid certain things because now we associate them not just with discomfort, but, but with danger and pain and, and everything else. And we, we, we become a little bit inflexible about it. And that's when you might hear thoughts like, I can't, I must never, you know, very rigid rule-based kind of thoughts that, that go around that. There's one that I encountered a lot a few years ago. I used to teach people how to use psychometric assessments and it, it, deviation, but bear with me. There was, there was unfortunately for all involved, <laughs> quite a bit of statistics involved. 
And people would need to demonstrate their understanding of certain statistics in order to pass their tests, in order to use these psychometric assessments. And I know that the HR practitioner listeners right now are shuddering at the memory of having to do those assessments. But the number of times I encountered delegates on those courses, really bright, capable, successful delegates who would say things like, I'm no good with numbers. And when you explore that, the reason was they felt very uncomfortable from experiences they had at a much younger age to do with their ability with with maths in school. And so what they'd done is got into a habit of avoiding any opportunity to learn how to be more confident with numbers or to develop their skills in numeracy and with statistics. And so up until the point where they had to sit down with me and go through this content, they kind of successfully avoided it. And it was really tough for them. And if you look at that through the lens of of ACT, that is really a 100% avoidant strategy. That's moving away from something that's helpful to you in order to avoid the discomfort of not being good at something, learning how to do something, or facing up to a skill deficit. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it reflects that very firm self-talk of, I'm no good, I must never, I can't, that kind of stuff. And and it doesn't help us. We can't avoid discomfort. So all we're doing is kind of delaying it a little bit. The other thing that we can do is try and reduce it when we experience it. I've touched on this before a couple of times in the kind of habits that we can build up. They're almost automatic, almost automatic responses to feeling these states. So we do something to reduce the feeling. And that's not helpful either, because again, it takes our mind off what we could be doing. But it can also set us up for some habits that are really unhelpful for our well-being, for example. So I feel bored, so I go to the fridge to get something to eat. I feel frustrated, so I go for a drink. Uh, I feel scared, so I stop talking. Or I feel angry, so I need to take it out on the person next to me. Yeah, it has nothing to do with why I'm angry in the first place. So this this uh, drive to get rid of it or reduce it or avoid it means we can set ourselves up for all kinds of, yeah, un- unhelpful uh, behavioral patterns. So in terms of avoiding, in terms of reducing, does that make sense, Pilar? Yes, and I think very interesting what you're saying about how sometimes we're comfortable avoiding it. <laughs> Obviously, we're because we're avoiding discomfort. And I'm also thinking sometimes it's part of our identity. It, it, it can become part of our identity. So, for example, as you were saying, I'm no good with numbers. Now, in, in avoiding that discomfort and maybe not even realizing that that's what we're doing, I think it can even creep up as them being part of our identity, uh, that mm, that avoidance without even noticing. So I think it, it's very complex. They all <laughs> relate to each other. And, you know, the next time we record, we're going to talk about how you view yourself and your self-concept yeah. and the benefits of doing that flexibly. And that that is exactly that. It becomes a very infirm, um, inflexible uh, kind of rule within you about how you see yourself. Uh, it's an absolute and they're they're often not very helpful to us mm. because many of the the facets that make us up, many of the qualities that make us who we are, they can change over time. So it's it's acknowledging that and making the distinction between I don't like it but I can bear it, um, or I don't like it but it's not going to kill me, <laughs> or I don't like it and there's a bigger picture here. 
You know, that that's all a little bit more helpful than I don't like this, so I need to avoid it or run away from it at all costs. So then, now, ooh, sorry, no, go ahead. Without jumping the gun, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so then, is there something about I don't like it, but so is there something about a first step in recognizing that, naming it, labeling, identifying it? Yeah, because, and th and this underlines the benefits of the noticing. Mm. You know, paying attention to to the now, we can say, I notice this is really uncomfortable for me, or I notice I'm imagining the discomfort. The, the awfulness involved in this meeting. And it hasn't even happened yet. And I'm really dwelling on that. And I'm going to call that anxiety. Right. Now I know I'm feeling anxiety about that meeting. And now I can, I can do something with that rather than I've, I feel gross, you know, when I think of the meeting. So I'm going to find an excuse not to go to the meeting. Mm -hmm. And that's not going to help you because you can't avoid this forever. And th this comes up a lot when I'm working with people around their, um, confidence in presenting to groups or, or public speaking or just speaking up, you know, that they've developed lots and lots of skills in avoiding those things. They're really quite skillful in not having to do that, but they can't do it forever. And when I meet with them, they've kind of almost reached the point of, okay, there's no way out of this. And I don't want to throw myself in and, and speak to an audience of 500. I think it might kill me, but I, I do want to learn how to do this a little bit better. And we kind of get it as adults. There's a bit of, well, I guess I need to suck it up. Mm. Um, and, and I think there's, there's something else to that though. I think it's not just, well, life is terrible and you need to just get used to this. I think there's a bigger picture here and a lot of, um, you know, act theory would, would support that because discomfort is only part of the experience and nearly everything that we do that has meaning that's important to us we'll have a little bit of discomfort associated with it because we're doing something difficult, but meaningful. We're doing something new, but meaningful. We're making a sacrifice because we're working towards something meaningful. So in addition to being specific about what you're uncomfortable about, it's useful to ask, well, why am I here in the first place? You know, maybe it's, I, I really don't like these tasks at work, but the reason I come to work is to take care of my family. Okay, well, that's the why. So it's not about avoiding the discomfort of doing these tasks. It's more about finding meaning and purpose, which is back to our point about happiness and unhappiness. You know, if we only had the experience of happiness, then it would be very bland altogether. We wouldn't be able to uh, notice the difference between it and those other states that we experience. And you know, as soon as you acknowledge that your plan to get from A to B is probably going to have a few bumps in the road and you could maybe realistically anticipate what those are and anticipate what you could do about those things, you're acknowledging, yeah, parts of this could be really uncomfortable for me. Parts of it could be extra tough for me. Maybe it's, I'm not sure my efforts are going to pay off. Maybe it's, I might get delayed and I might have to wait a bit until I get to reach my goal. But I've thought about it. I can name that thing. And actually, I can be so specific about it. I know how to respond when it happens in a way that's helpful to me, which is to persist rather than, you know, turn around the way I came and move in the opposite direction. Again, when we're talking about discomfort, not danger or or physical pain here, it can be useful to get used to the experience itself. And, you know, if, if 
you really, really, really don't like boredom, uh, to look for opportunities to experience it and notice that's the limits of that experience. You know, that's as bad as it gets instead of when I get bored, terrible things happen. Or when I get anxious, terrible things happen. Or when I get frustrated, it's the end of the world. It's this is, this is the most you can expect. And so we sort of normalize the experience, sit with it and realize, okay, well, if this is boredom, I, I can put up with this rather than I must avoid boredom at all costs. And so I'm going to do, 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 do. And in that direction lies stress because I can't not be doing stuff. And building on what we've talked about before, we're, we're bringing in the skill of noticing those inner states, but not trying to change them. We're, we're, we're noticing um, what we are maybe tempted to do. We're, we're using our words to label those experiences and be specific about them. And then we're really focused on what, why am I here in the first place by having clarity of values. So there's several of these act processes, these principles that support psychological flexibility. That's, that's an example of how those come together um, just like that. And, and when we talked about seeing thoughts for what they are, and we talked about this skill of diffusion, that is what that is right there. I notice this experience or I notice this urge to turn away from it, but I don't have to act on that unless I consciously decide that that's what's going to be helpful for me in this moment. So can you see the links between those principles? Ideally, I'd have a big diagram right now, but, you know, audio doesn't, <laughs> doesn't support diagrams. But does that make sense verbally? Yes, to me completely. And I'm sure to those listeners who's been, who've been with us for a few episodes and even those who've been with us from the, from the beginning, it, it must start to resonate because, as you say, for example, um, exploring the experience rather than imagining what the experience will be like and getting caught in that, for example, that reminds me of stuff we've mm. talked about before. And the values, this coming back to, okay, what am like you were saying, what am I here for? What are my values? Is 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 this is this discomfort actually in line with with my values, with how I want to live mm -hmm. my life. So can I actually, I don't know, for, can you embrace it, as you say, as an experience or as a way for doing something else? Or or just embrace it for the moment. So for me, yeah, it all makes sense. It's, yeah. It's temporary. So I can, I can, I can stand that or it comes with what I'm working towards. Yeah. An example I use a lot in training is if anyone has ever studied for an exam, you know, they didn't go through the discomfort of long nights of studying and not being able to go out and socialize for the fun of it. They did it because they wanted to get a qualification. And so the higher order thing here is, well, I'm working towards a goal. And why am I doing that? Because one of my values is, I don't know, personal development or career success, whatever it might be. But you make those connections. If you just think and focus on the fact that you're bored or you've got a lot of, you know, fear of missing out about what's happening in the outside world while you sit at your desk, well, then you're going to be both uncomfortable and miserable and potentially um you know, push back from your studies and walk out the door to experience something nicer. And in the short term, that's lovely. In the medium to long term, you, you're, you're not working towards that goal and you're not being who you want to be. You're not putting your values into practice. Another thought that comes to mind that might be slightly well, out of all of this, or maybe it's in line, is that 
acknowledging and noticing, actually noticing first, then naming. And then when we can and feel like in making a decision about what to do with either the thoughts or the uh, experience, the discomfort, actually gives us a little bit of sense of control, which uh, I think is, which always, for me, it always makes me feel better. <laughs> and, and, uh, and of course, has been linked mm. to motivation. And I think this to me, as I'm hearing you, I'm thinking, actually, if I notice and then decide which way to go with what I'm feeling or sensing, whatever, that also gives me a little bit more sense of control. Yeah, it's it's about having an awareness of the context mm. and, and, and some sense making yeah, rather it. than being a victim yeah. of your thoughts yeah. or on the receiving end of the discomfort. And of course, as adults, we always have the choice to walk away. You know, if you're feeling uncomfortable, you, you can walk away from that. But then you also have to say, and I'm doing that by choice. Yes. And I'm choosing to walk in the opposite direction of the goal I'm working towards. I think in the long term, that makes a huge difference. It, it really does. And we can see patterns in our behavior if we reflect. So this is one of the things we can do with this knowledge about discomfort. I challenge people in my workshops to, to think about all the discomfort they've experienced so far in just that day that we're working <laughs> together. And it goes from, you know, well, the discomfort of Waking up, <laughs> that's the one I have every day. It's an uncomfortable experience, but it's necessary. Uh, the discomfort of leaving a warm building and going out into the cold outside. Um, the discomfort involved in thinking ahead to a really busy schedule that maybe you're overcommitted within. Or the discomfort of, a really common one now, a discomfort, you know, when I'm on a train and I can't get connected to my email. <laughs> And I'm wondering what's in my inbox and what could be piling up there. It's a great example of how our mind is not likely to say, oh, there's no email. It's likely to say, oh, there's nightmares in there and there's tons of complaints and so much work for you to do. And not only that, everyone's judging you because you haven't responded to the emails yet. So, you know, being able to say, well, I don't like this, but, you know, <laughs> it's out of my control right now. There's not a lot I can do about this uh, is also quite powerful. So we don't intentionally go out and, 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 you know, experience discomfort just for the hell of it. But, but an example I shared this morning with the group was, you know, this frustration that a lot of people have with waiting for things and the frustration of being delayed or the frustration with having to queue. Um, you know, we talked about joining a queue when you don't know what it's for in public, just join a queue and then you're experiencing waiting, maybe a bit of boredom, maybe a bit of frustration. And while you're queuing, you realize I'm doing this and nothing bad is happening. I can really experience this and it's, it's legitimate boredom because I've no idea what's at the end of this queue, but I am experiencing it. And it, that takes the sting, that kind of thing takes the sting out of these experiences a little bit. But I should also say lots of the discomfort that we'll experience is not so transient, is not so easy to, you know, put a pin in the balloon about. It could be, you know, memories that keep resurfacing from, from your past that are difficult to deal with. It could be um, setbacks that really dent your self-confidence. It could be taking a risk and being let down. You know, there, there, there's a lot of opportunities for us to feel these inner uh, states that we don't want. But I think it all comes back to if we don't do anything ever, then we won't have 
any discomfort. But as soon as we start to take action in the world, as soon as we start to pursue goals, then there's a good risk that we'll encounter some of these uncomfortable sensations and um, inner experiences along the way. So I, I would argue prepared is is best, you know, to anticipate, to think um, about how you'll be your best self and how actually pursuing the goal outweighs the temporary uh, discomfort. And, and that's quite a rational discussion to have with yourself. But it's one where you say, do I persist? Is it worth it? It is because the reason I got so excited about this was that this is the goal I'm working towards, or this is the me I want to be. I, an example I share a lot when it comes to discomfort is the, um, the, the, the discomfort of deprivation when people go on a diet and they, they start a diet and a couple of things happen to, to many people. It's when severe diets really, really don't work is because one, they don't see instant results. It takes a while for a diet to, to change anything about your physical appearance, but they do notice one thing, the discomfort of deprivation the discomfort of not being able to eat your favorite food, or they notice their hunger, and maybe it's not even hunger, but they really pay attention to that, and they notice all the things they can't do. And so all of that is weighing on your mind, almost telling you, give up, stop, this isn't worth it. When in fact, if you connect with, well, how does this relate to the kind of person I want to be? And why did I set this goal for myself in the first place? If those things are in place, you're more likely to make helpful changes and you're less likely to fall into the pit of, oh no, here's the discomfort. I can't have that. Let me go back to the way things were. Not a workplace example, but I think it's one that a lot of us can identify with. Yeah, and and it's, uh, I think it, 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 it's probably very, it mirrors a lot of other experiences, also something we set up to do. And actually, once we're doing it, all this stuff happens and we just need to remember why we're doing it in the first place. I think it's completely in parallel with many, many other things. So a really easy um, question to ask ourselves when it comes to discomfort, when we're, when we're tempted to act in a way that feels like a relief that feels um, like a comfortable way of behaving, that feels like a way of dealing with the discomfort that we're really aware of. It's to simply ask ourselves, am I moving in the direction of my values or am I moving away from that? And it, you can move in the direction of your values and feel uncomfortable. People forget that really simple thing. And the away moves really are uh, discomfort relieving moves. I don't want to feel this, so I'm going to do this, rather than I'm going to persist with this because it's important to me and I'm going to feel uncomfortable while I do it, but I'm okay with that. So just asking yourself, am I moving towards or am I moving away? And, and that kind of simplifies and makes memorable this whole topic, I think, of discomfort. We've reached the end of our planned content. Pilar, have you got any questions or final thoughts before we wrap up for today? No, it's a lot. So in a way, I'm thinking <laughs> it's good because there's a lot to ponder on and reflect on. And of course, especially because it links to so many other things we've talked about. So no, I don't have anything to add. Super. Well, let me briefly trail our upcoming episodes. Then next time you hear from us, we're going to be talking about this notion of self-concept. So the, the views we have of our selves and how it's helpful to hold that lightly and, and be flexible about that self-concept. And we'll talk about how it relates to all of these other processes. And then our final episode in this series is going to be an interview with um, 
Dr. Annie Gascoigne, all about organizational flexibility, which is uh, an organizational level uh, version of psychological flexibility. And we're going to talk about how the two relate and how uh, organizational flexibility can be increased. So we've got a couple more episodes in the series. If you have questions or comments or just experiences and stories you'd like to share with us, if you're trying to put any of this into practice, we would love to hear from you. So you can message us uh, on Twitter. It's at mypocketpsych or send us a longer message on our contact form. And you can find that at worklifepsych.com slash contact. And you can also, and I have consistently forgotten to mention this throughout the series, you can go to psychologicalflexibility.com to be, um, to arrive at a page on our website, which just sets out all of the skills in one place. And it has links back to some interesting blog posts about the topic and uh, some of the previous uh, episodes that you can uh, you can listen to there. So if you haven't um, uh, subscribed to the podcast, you can find the previous episodes there. And it's a really easy link to share with other people if you want to make the point. This is what I'm listening to. And I think you should listen to it too. Wonderful. So thank you. We're now at the end of uh, episode 58. Um, everyone, thank you for listening. Thanks for downloading this episode of My Pocket Psych. To get in touch with questions and feedback, you can tweet us at worklifepsych or leave us a message on the contact form at www.worklifepsych.com contact. Thanks for listening.